Welcome to Indigo Tent episode number 13. Today we're covering the art and creative forces in spring. Join us in the tent. Hey Zella, welcome to the tent. Hi Wendy, good morning and it's so good to be here. I'm excited about today's podcast because a few weeks ago you and I had a discussion about spring the maypole dance and as usual you gave me a lot of things to think about and so we have come up with a theme for today creative energy in the spring but we're also listeners we're going to break down Wendy's and my own favorite topic dance and art the medium of painting especially sculpture painting all of that so let's get started since the beginning of time, we have turned to the arts to connect, to understand, to express what words cannot always express. So for me, it was, it was dance. And then we're also, as mankind, we're always going to tie back to nature whenever we can. And to the earth in general, yes. And not in a tree hugger way, but in a life fertility, survival way. Right, a sustaining way. Food came from the ground. <laughs> it didn't grow in Walmart. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, so many years of teaching um, third graders or fifth graders when we would take them to farms and various field trips that that I always tried to uh, to get the field trips to be tied back to the earth in some way to get them to understand that food has to be grown and nurtured prepared before it's ever packaged. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about the maypole dance. Where does it originate from? Ooh, so the maypole dance is one of those uh, iconic spring dances. And it goes way back. Um, we see it a lot in, in European history and probably some other, uh, some other continents too. Uh, but our, I guess my knowledge is more based on the European area. Uh, and it was the idea of welcoming spring. Now in these societies at this time, you know, think Paleolithic time period. In their societies, life was, sim was symbolic of, of survival. And fertility referred to crops, it referred to humans, it referred to, you know, anything that sustained in life and kept us going. And so some of the symbols that were used originally, or that were featured originally in the dances we don't understand today because they had a, we have a different context for life today. But there's, their context in life was not so compartmentalized as we do today. Like, you know, think of, think of our elementary schools or high schools or colleges, you know, you, you take English class and then you take history class and then you take science class. But in this time period, life was, life was everything. One big one big melting pot. Not and fragmented. So, yeah, not so fragmented. Right. So for them, there was this, this uh, 
almost a magical aspect of when you plant a seed into a ground, into the ground, and it's dark, it's buried, it's it seems to be lifeless, but then all of a sudden, um, new life springs forth in the seed, and they also saw correlations between that same aspect in human life. A seed is planted and then a few months later, well, nine months later, a new life is also springing forth. <laughs> right, nine months. <laughs> That's usually how it takes. <laughs> Thank God we're not elephants. <laughs> <laughs> so when you think of um, some of this symbolism that was originally associated with the maypole being a pole. It also had some other fertility and anatomical connections. And then as, as Christianity spread throughout Europe, um, these dances, you know, rep didn't, didn't jive so much with, with the Christian mindset. And so, to be able to still dance the dances, they, they became children's dances. And today we look at the idea of spring, of, of a renewal, a regrowth, awakening. Back to what we referenced at the beginning of this podcast, a renewal, because we're awakening from this time of COVID-19, this time of separation. We're about to get back together as a society. And we've very much compartmentalized our lives. It's become very fragmented. And yet at the same time, we have still had to go forth and work and, and try to be our creative selves. And that's hard to do when you have felt shut down. And that's why we thought it would be a good idea to talk about what happens after hibernation. Yeah, new life, new ways of, of dealing with the creative energy we could say it's like spring. And it really is spring. Coincidentally. All right, so let's talk about some art for a few minutes. Yes. I'm gonna start with the woman of Willendorf. That was a little statue about four inches tall and about two inches wide. It was found somewhere in the area of Germany, current Germany. This was a little statue carved out of limestone, and it, it dates back to the Paleolithic time period. So it's about 25,000 years ago when they, the anthropologists have put a time frame for this little statue. And what the experts think is that it was used as a talisman. In other words, it was a little statue that a woman would carry around her neck or plant in the ground. Now let's think about these women that lived in this time period. We're talking in the hunter-gatherer period before, before they had started cities and, and stayed tied to one area because of a crop. These women, they were very much trying to fulfill their higher purpose of the time period, which was to procreate, to survive. And if you look at our mm -hmm. link to our webpage, you'll see a picture of this little statue, this woman of Willendorf. Some experts have mistakenly, in my opinion, called her uh, a goddess or a, uh, especially have tied her to Venus. But this 
very much obviously predates Greece, so that's not a good way to reference her. She's a woman of her time, and is as you look at the mm -hmm. statue, or I'll I'll talk you through it. She's very wide in the hips. She has some wide, childbearing hips, a big bulbous belly, and long, full breasts that are almost like pendulums. She doesn't even really have arms. She barely has legs. She has no face, but she has a beautiful weaving around the crown of her head. And that could symbolize the crown itself. It could symbolize just a headdress or maybe how she plaited her hair at the time. Now, what's interesting is when you look at her, she is not going to make the cover of Sports Illustrated because she is what we say in anthropology. She is full of fecundity. She is big and large and able to produce lots of children. And that would be attractive to a man at the time because they needed to survive. Experts think she could be pregnant and representing a younger woman, or she could be a menopausal woman and then society is celebrating the fact that she has lived many years of course for this time period probably what only 30 at the most but she's lived many years and produced many children and so she has earned the right to be celebrated mm, that's a great way to put it yeah and then the next group that we're going to look at is the greek and roman statues now the artists of this time they were more concerned with getting the human body as it really looked and not necessarily being tied to that talisman aspect of oh i need to have this little statue around my neck because it's going to help me to be fertile no the greeks were more about the art and the beauty of art itself and so they were trying to get the anatomical aspect of their statues correct and really looking like a human body. Again, celebrating womanhood. Um, you'll see most statues of the Greeks, it, they're naked or they're um, scantily clad, but we think that they were all white and no, they were painted and they loved bright, vibrant colors. The gaudier, the better back in, in those days. Yeah, because if you also, uh, you know, it goes right along with the Greeks that developed the Olympics. And they probably were one of our most fit societies that we know of. Right. Think of the Spartans. Think of the movie 300. And, and that gives you an idea of, of what they idealized as the perfect body. <laughs> Ooh, and the original meaning of gymnasium was where they actually went to work out for the olympics uh, and they weren't wearing clothes no not at all oh so now when we think about gymnasiums today <laughs> uh. <laughs> whole another concept <laughs> and then next we're going to look at byzantine art so again go look at the web page and i have chosen a picture by giotto and he painted the madonna and child now this painting was done sometime in the 1300s but Let's break it apart a little bit. So again, I referenced the Byzantine era, the Dark Ages, the medieval church is very much in charge. And so all art had to be tied to the church. 
and it was very somber. You're not going to see fecundity in, in any of the paintings or the icons, and icon means image in Greek. You're not going to see any celebration of a woman for her ability to be a childbearing vessel. That's not to say that survival wasn't still of the utmost importance, but this group of people, they were very concerned with the spiritual life here on earth to get you to heaven. And so their ideal woman is going to be the Virgin Mary, and she's going to be clothed, and there aren't very many statues from this era, mainly paintings, mainly images um, of, of some biblical type of story. But if they paint the Virgin Mary or angels or some of the few female saints, they're going to paint them in a way that their body does not show. They are going to be draped, their head is covered, their face is barely showing. But you're going to notice that their hand, as the hand of the Virgin Mary, is always going to be gesturing either to the Christ child referencing him. And so then, again, what is important? Children producing good children, and that was what the church was trying to get people, women especially, to think about. Your role is, yes, to produce children and to produce little spiritual beings that will grow up and make their way to heaven, not get stuck in the afterlife of, of Hades or any of those places, because even though we're talking the early Christian church, they are still very tied to the Greek and Roman mythology of hell and not making it to heaven is not an option in, oh, yes. in medieval times. And one more thing about this, this image, you're going to see that the, that the child sitting on her lap freakishly looks like a little man. And that was because, again, Life is not celebrated for the joy of, of childbearing and bringing all these wonderful children into the world to enjoy. No, life is, again, pro about producing, but now the goal is raising adults, raising your child to be an adult. And so that was one of the reasons why they depicted Christ looking not like a cute little chubby-faced baby, but as, as a man. And remember, this is in the medieval times, in the Dark Ages. And then the last picture that I've chosen for you to look at is from Botticelli. And this was painted in the 1400s. And this painting is called Primavera, which means spring. And think about the Renaissance. So now we're out of the Dark Ages. We're out of the Gothic time period. And we're at the beginning of the early Renaissance. We're at the beginning of the Renaissance, the Age of Enlightenment. And so when you look at this picture, so I'm going to look at it myself to reference what I'm talking about because there's so much to unpack in this painting. So there's several things going on. It is all yeah. about spring. It is all about fecundity. So the, the painters of the Renaissance, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and then Botticelli, they were exploring all of the Greek and Roman art that had been shunned and set aside or destroyed or covered up by the early church. And now we see a celebration of the woman again. And in this painting, 
you're going to see several things going on. So on the right side, you're going to see a blue figure, and this is Zephyr. And Zephyr is trying to get Chloris. And think about Chloris. It almost sounds like chlorophyll life, right? He's trying to, and it's sad, but it's true. He's trying to rape her and be, but think again what the, the, um, the ancient spring. Yeah, it's spring. And so the ancient people, they were all about <clears throat> this fecundity and making sure that life goes on. So he wants to impregnate her. And then it shows her in this portion of the painting, Chloris is barely clothed in this um, light linen see-through gauzy material that's like what the Greeks would wear. But then she transforms into Flora. And then she is in this beautiful dress that Botticelli has taken a lot of time to paint the most exquisite flowers. And it, she's holding her belly. So think about it. If she's holding her belly, we all know what that means. She's celebrating the fact that she's pregnant. <clears throat> Even though it might have disturbingly come from a rape situation. And then if you look at all of the women. Yes, and it's also <clears throat> in, in useful to, to think there were spring rituals that yeah, helped, get helped that. each other ensure that the life was coming on. So it may have been associated uh, with an earlier form of a Beltane type uh, ritual of spring mating as opposed to a rape. I don't know. Well, I like that. Okay, and so then if you look over to the left side of the painting, you're going to see three women that are dancing and they're dancing a maypole type of dance. Their arms are raised up, their arms are intertwined with each other and then that you could tell that they're going in a circular pattern and this ties back to what Wendy was saying that ritual of the pole tying us to the earth um, and planting seeds and they are all wearing a soft Greek type of shift so you can see their very elongated bodies Botticelli anatomically was not trying to get these these women to look correct. Their necks are too long. It's almost like they've the heat has added a vertebrae in their back because their <laughs> spines are way too long. And all of them look pregnant. And they look pregnant for a reason because again, we're talking about fecundity. There's um, Mercury over to the, the left side of the painting and he is has his back towards all of this because he is all about reason and logic and thought and he is not going to be part of this all of this silliness of celebrating the earth and celebrating fecundity he is reaching for higher knowledge whereas Zephyr is all about the senses he is wanting to experience everything he can and so don't we need a balance of both don't we need to reach for the higher intellectual things of life and at the same time experience the passions of just being alive right and then right. right in the middle you see a beautiful woman with clothes on she's not she doesn't have anything see-through and again her belly looks pregnant and then notice her hand she's raising it up in the gesture like you saw in Giotto's or any of the other medieval iconic type of art she's lifting up her hand in this in the gesture of a blessing she this woman represents two two different beings she represents venus 
but she also represents the Virgin Mary. Now, who would have had this painting in their home? Well, it was painted for the Medicis, the, the money lenders of Florence. And they could afford art. They wanted beautiful things in their home. So Botticelli painted for the church and then, of course, would have painted paintings that would be all about spiritual matters. But the Medicis, they saw themselves as enlightened people and they wanted this painting in their home. And if you think about it, it's several reminders. So I'm going to just dive into this for a second. So if this is in a Medici home, Mr. Medici is married to Mrs. Medici, right? And she has her role clearly defined. She's going to be like that Virgin Mary. She's got to produce children. They've got to be little spiritual beings. They've also got to be intellectually aware. And they have to grow up and produce more Medicis. And she better be a good wife. Whereas the man, he needs to plant his seeds in any and every opportunity he has. And so if he is reminded of the fecundity of life and these scantily clad women, that's okay because he's a man and he gets to do what men should do. And so have things really changed all that much? Let's fast forward to our day and age, something that's, that's images that are more um, in our mindset. We think of Marilyn Monroe. She wasn't a skinny little model. She had some no. voluptuous hips. And she was the icon of all icons. She was what women should look like and somehow be this beautiful sex kitten in the bed. And yet, oh, Marilyn, have a successful marriage. Somehow make that happen. And she obviously struggled with that, right? A few podcasts ago, Wendy and I talked about Shakira and Jennifer Lopez <laughs> and their very vibrant dance styles and their empowerment at the halftime on this global stage. And that's an incredible thing if you think about it. And then what does it come back to? Oh, let's see. Jennifer had a pole, didn't she? And she was dancing around a pole. She was, she was doing her own maypole dance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then there's one more woman that I want to talk about, Tiffany Jenkins. And if you all haven't discovered her yet on Facebook, please look her up because she is absolutely hilarious. She's very candid and, and raw and transparent. She talks about having um, an opioid addiction and being clean and free and sober of that for years. And so she's a public speaker and a comedian. But what I really love about her is in her little vignette clips that she puts on Facebook, she is raw and transparent about how difficult it is to be a woman today in this, in this time mm -hmm. period whether mm -hmm. it's COVID-19 or if she's just talking about the anxiety, the voices in her head. And I love the fact that she's willing to talk about all the things that we as women need to talk about. And she's being very creative with the skits that she's writing. So we've talked about dance. We've talked about art, painting, sculptures, women being creative. That's what this podcast. But we as humans into today's age, one thing that we have in common with every ancestor that's existed is there's spring and spring creates energy, life-giving energy, nature wakes up again, um, human energy, 
the, the sensation or the instinct to procreate, to continue life. So that creative force isn't always just simple or joyful. There's a really dark side, if you will, to the creative force. And, and it, we find it in nature. Look at ha hailstorms and tornadoes. They are very destructive by nature, but that's part of the expression of creativity. So as we're now waking up, both from winter and from this quarantine time, we need to really be aware that we're also, we're going to have like a double dose of this creative energy because one, we've been stuck indoors and we've been hibernating and that energy can come through us in a very strong way. So let us take a time to recognize that warrior-like energy coming through us. And I want to give you a few questions or an activity to do, to think about, to guide you as we start experiencing all of these, these different emotions of creative energy. And this comes from the systemic work. So the activity is some, some just as you wake up each day, as you go throughout your day, maybe as you listen to this, consider these questions. For what or whom am I creating? What do I want to create in my life? What will I do with this creative energy? And how will I then release the energy that no longer serves, that may express, it may express as anger or resentment or uh, ill will towards another? How can we at this point allow ourselves to release that so for you, take some time, jot down some notes, journal, hopefully to ask these questions. And then I encourage you strongly, highly recommend, this is the time to be in motion. Energy in motion. This creative energy that's coming through us also is impacting everyone else. And if you're staying still, that, that energy is just uh, really going to get bottled up inside you. Right. So, so do something creative with it. Yes. Channel that, that energy into positive motion, into positive action. Mm -hmm. And think about the things that Wendy and I've talked about today. The dance the fecundity, the art, all of these things, when you're answering these questions for yourself, what is your role? What is your higher purpose? These women that we highlighted, they had roles. Hopefully they were finding their higher purpose. We have so many roles as women. Um, think about our intros on our Facebook pages. We describe who we are. I, right from the get-go, say I'm a mother, a grandmother, and that I'm a business partner with my husband for our real estate and, and a business partner with Wendy. And these are things that bring me joy. And they 
come from deep inside of me. They're part of my womanhood, obviously, being a mother and a grandmother. That happens because of, of who I was created to be. And even if you don't have children, that doesn't matter. You're still a woman and you still have a creative destiny that is separate from your ability to create a child, a life. You can create that life that you're supposed to live, that energy that you're supposed to give. That's what we want to help you find, empower you. you to, we want to help you find your own empowerment so that you can express that creativity, that it comes from a place of wisdom and inspiration. Well said. So dear listeners, happy creating. See you in the tent, y'all. We hope you've been uplifted by this episode. Please help us uplift others by sharing, subscribing, and reviewing our show. Join in on the conversation by adding your insights and transformations in the comments section. See you next time.